Hello, hello, hello. We are back. Our third podcast, Power of Three. Three is the magic number. It is. And then seven after that. Why, so why seven? I don't know. It's like a holy number or something. Three and seven. Aren't those like the holy numbers? I don't know. What religion are you following? Not I don't the know. same one that you are. What's your f- seven? I did, Hail Satan was one of my favorite documentaries of yeah, this year. Yeah, but I don't remember <laughs> seven being mentioned no? in that. You obviously were not a numbers nerd when you grew up. I, I was a regular, regular nerd. nerd. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. a numbers nerd? Yeah, it happens. Hey, by the way, it's uh, Chuck Kaplinski and Pam Powell. We are back for our third podcast of Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. And uh, we're having a good time doing this because it's that time of year where all the good stuff is coming out. Absolutely. And it's also a lot of fun to just actually bounce ideas off of, the, off of each other as to what is happening in the film world. Mm-hmm. I don't think we really get a chance to do that on any of our other outlets, so this is a great way to do it. That's right. So if you're listening, then you are, you know, you're stuck listening to us bouncing <laughs> ideas off of one another. Uh, but hopefully you won't be too bored because, you know, I am pretty fascinating. So I, I don't think that would be a problem. <laughs> anyway, hey, wake up, so, wake up. What are we talking about? <laughs> so today we're going to talk about Jumanji, uh-huh. The Next Level, and Richard Jewell. As well as all, well, not all the different nominations, but some of the different nominations, some of the snubs, some of the surprises, since Golden we, Globes. Yeah, since we last since talked. Since we talked, yeah, a couple other organizations, including Critics' Choice Association, which we belong to, announced their nominations. So, yeah, we can sift through those there in a little bit. But first, what are we going to talk about first? Do you want to talk about Jumanji first? Sure, let's go with Jumanji first. Let's go with Jumanji. How about we listen to a clip Sounds from good. the film before we get into it? Perfect. Grandpa Eddie? Anthony? This is uh, uh, Martha and, and Bethany. This is Spencer's grandfather. Nice to meet you. Morning. Sorry to barge in on you. Yeah, you're not barging. He's barging. Milo Walker. <sighs> Did you guys see Spencer? I think he went back in. We gotta go get him. Are you out of your mind? We haven't even picked our guys yet. Oh, he's just fine. Oh, you got something? Eh? Who are you? Oh my God. You're Spencer's grandfather. Are we in Florida? And you? My little walker. Did I die and turn into some kind of a small, muscular boy scout? Are we dead? Bethany? No, no, no! Rich? I'm the old fat dude. This can't be happening! My hip sure feels good now. Look at my thighs. Look at your thighs. Look at my thighs. Okay. We have some issues here. The game is busted. It's a game. I'm not it. I don't want to be it. Welcome to Jumanji. As you can hear, there a lot more fun to be had uh, in this film, in which obviously is going to become a franchise. You think? <laughs> yeah, I think. I think so. I think that they, they could just exhaust this one, you know, years out. Yeah, well, uh, the funny thing is, is like the first one, not the very first one, not the one with Robin Williams, because the second one was actually the first one. Yeah, I don't count one. the first one. Yeah. I don't count that one either. Um, however, the second one was a continuation of that first one. Anyway, here we are at the second one from the first one. That Jesus, after the God. First one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want you to weave in the number seven here somehow, okay? Can you it'll, do that? It'll come in there somewhere, because uh-huh. this All is right. the number three, actually. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, oh, but is it? 
is it? It's 2A. 2A. Let's go with 2A. Okay. But the, it's really just a rehashing of the exact same premise. They didn't really give us anything new or novel to see or hear. However, the characters are incredible fun. And we've got Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who embodies, and imagine that, people, embodies Danny DeVito. It's a scary thought, but he does an amazing job of replicating all of his mannerisms, his speech style. Everything about him makes you think that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is actually Danny DeVito. And this all occurs when the characters enter the game again. Right. Uh, going after one of their friends who is a bit depressed. Yeah, poor and, guy. And uh, you know, wants to go back to that uh, game world where he was competent. And confident. And Dwayne the Rock and Johnson. And Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> uh, so they go in after him to uh, try and try and help him out. And of course, the avatars are, and including in, uh, in addition to Dwayne Johnson, uh, Kevin Hart and Jack Black and Karen Gillian. Uh, but of course, the mix matching of the personalities to the avatars, as you say, is where the fun comes in. Uh, if this is going to be a franchise, I don't know how much mileage they can get out of that. Uh, constantly switching the personalities with the avatars. Right. Obviously, they're going to have to um, introduce some different avatars or more avatars uh, as this goes on because obviously at the end of this film, it is definitely suggested that a third installment is on the way. Oh, I'm sure. This is going to be a big blockbuster. And actually, to me, it's I like having this fluff, this entertainment, this time of year. I think it's the perfect dose for the holidays to get the families out, see a fun movie, and escape for a little while from whatever holiday stresses you might be under. Yeah, it's good counter-programming. Um, you know, I think that the one last year, or two years ago, I should say, was, in, was uh, premiered during the, about the same time of it year. It was. Uh, so that's smart. What do you, you know, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but mm. what is your take on Kevin Hart? Um, you know, Kevin Hart is kind of a frenetic person to me. Sometimes kind of? I love him and sometimes I don't. And I loved him in this particular Jumanji because he had to take on the characteristics of Danny Glover. Mm -hmm. And his personality in this film, and, and maybe his personality overall is like this as well, he's kind of a mild-mannered, soft-spoken, even-tempered, even-keeled kind of person. And that is not how I would describe Kevin Hart. So I think he really had to study hard and work hard at becoming Danny Glover's character of Milo. Yeah, I can't stand him. Uh, <laughs> because, as you mentioned, you know, the frantic, uh, too loud Persona, it's over persona the top that all he the time. has nurtured. Yeah, it's it's just too much. It gives me a headache. But the reason I brought it up was because, as you point out, this is different, and he really did have to kind of stop and reevaluate. So it's interesting to see him in this role. Right. Uh, I'm sure that he won't pursue this any further because that's not you know his bread and butter. But it was nice to see him you know in another key. I guess right? you'd say. Right. He can stretch. He can do it. And. The ironic thing to me, too, is Jack Black, I think, was more of the star, along with Dwayne last year or two years ago, whenever the film first one came out. Um, Jack Black wasn't over the top this time. He was a little bit more pulled back, too. He became the fridge. As I was gonna say, he really wasn't allowed to. Right, right. But he, he usually shines no matter what he does. Mm -hmm. And he was great in this role, but he wasn't front and center, yeah. which was unusual. Well, you know, and I think that's going to be, you know, something they're going to have to juggle with if they continue this with the same four people. Right. Uh, who is at the forefront? Whose turn is it uh, to have the most interesting personality 
uh, thrust upon them. I like the film. It's a bit too long, I think. Yeah, I think in the beginning, it took 30 minutes, and I did look at my watch after 30 minutes. It took 30 minutes mm-hmm. for them to get you into get Jumanji. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that was too long. Mm-hmm. That could have been cut down to 10, 15 minutes, and that pacing would have been better. It got a little sluggish a couple times in the, while they right. were in Jumanji as right. well. I think a little sharper editing could have helped that out I agree. as well. I agree. But uh, yeah, it's not going to prevent this thing from making scads of money. Right. And I'll go see the third one. Hey, maybe one of the kids will go back as the evil person next time. <gasps> Do you think that could be a possibility? Quiet. Okay. Just as long as Nick Jonas <laughs> is in it. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> I think we like him for different reasons. And this is a possibility. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I can't say that. He's probably my son's age. Yeah. Anyway, um, that wraps it up for Jumanji. So let's take it on to Richard Jewell, but we want to listen to a clip from this too. Richard, you're a national hero now. Jewel fits the profile of the lone bomber, a frustrated white man who is a police wannabe who seeks to become a hero. We're running it. You're a suspect. You don't talk. I talk. Say, I don't talk. This might be the only way to clear your name. I want you to say there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Stop trying to be their best friend. I was raised to respect authority. Authorities are looking to eat you alive. It's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I'm sorry, what? These accusers are two of the most powerful forces in the world. The United States government and the media. I do want to help y'all on law enforcement, too. One of the things that emerges from this film, and this is uh, Eastwood's, Clint Eastwood's 41st film as a director, um, is that Richard Jewell was really his own worst enemy uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, the film goes very much into his background, which I very much appreciated. Uh, we see him before the incident uh, that put him in the spotlight where he saved the um, uh, many people gathered at the Olympics in Atlanta in 1996 by finding the bomb in the backpack and evacuating them. We see him at a community college where he worked uh, and a couple other incidents in which he is, I guess, overzealous <laughs> nice would be the nicest it. way to put it, you know. Uh, and I have a feeling that he was a guy who, once you were around him for 20 minutes, you had to get away. <laughs> you had to get away. He was going to drive you nuts right. with... Uh, his uh, pointing out that rules had to be followed, uh, his suspicion, I don't want to call it paranoia, but his constant looking out for something that's wrong so right. that he could step in and save the day. I'm sure that he was not easy to be around, right. but that doesn't excuse what happened to him, and he is uh, obviously the victim as the media descends upon him uh, after the FBI turns their investigation towards him, thinking that he was in fact the man who planted the bomb that he found. Um, what an affair, a nefarious film as far as how the FBI comes oh off. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, and that's, John Hamm plays the, the lead agent, I think Tom Shaw is Tom his Shaw, name yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and that, that was just mind boggling to me. And I thought that, that can't be the true part of the story. That must be one of the aspects that Clint Eastwood probably took a little liberty with and just added it in there for a little bit of drama. And it wasn't, they actually did take him. And this is a spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen it, you might want to put earmuffs on right now. Um, but they took him under the false pretense mm-hmm. that he was going to be doing a, a, a training, training tape. film. Yeah. 
And, you know, thankfully, he was smart enough and familiar enough with law to know once he got there that he couldn't sign his Miranda rights away. Right, Oh, right. my gosh. Under Can you the, imagine? Under the guise of right. pretend right. for the film. Yeah. I know that the Ham character is an amalgamation of different right. FBI agents, but all the things that you're indicating and other things are based on fact as far as, you know, I think the, the thing I came away from from the film was that every single person that you see wants something from Richard Jewell. They want something. And they have no compunction, they have no scruples as far as getting what they want from him, whether it be the FBI agent, whether it be uh, Scruggs, the reporter played by Olivia Wilde, whether it even be the lawyer played by Sam Rockwell. Right. They all want something from this guy. And um, that that side of human nature, of course, is relatable, right? but obviously, you know, just so deplorable as well. Well, one of the things that I took away from it is that how many times do we make a judgment and we have our conclusion before we have all the facts oh, sure. and everything? And that, that is key with, with this entire film. And the media playing such a big oh. part in that shaping of our right. opinion. Right, and I mean, that happens today. And how many, oh, yes. how many reporters, how many news sources run away with something without having any kind of corroboration or even a second opinion on, on the matter or a second piece of information that's factual. Well, and I know that Eastwood's getting a lot of flack here for the film for the portrayal of the uh, reporter played by Olivia Wilde. Apparently, uh, those that knew her, she has since uh, passed away, right. claim that she was not the way she was portrayed in the film, uh, willing to sleep with uh, people to get tips and things of that nature. And if that is not true, then, well, that is that is an error. However, I hope that doesn't overshadow the message of this movie. And the message of this movie is, is that the truth cannot be overshadowed. And the truth, especially now, is a fatality to the media that is constantly, constantly churning out, especially from the highest office of this land. The truth has become a casualty to expediency. And that is dangerous, and that's where we're at. And that's the message of this movie right. is to, you've got to dig for the truth, and you've got to hang on to it, no matter what the price. Right. Well said, well said. Uh, one of the things, um, this whole movie is based on a Vanity Fair article as well as a book that was written about this, this um, circumstances issue. Uh, something that I had read was that whoever the head of the FBI was at that time was pulling all the strings of those agents that mm -hmm. were down in mm -hmm. Georgia. That was alluded to with one sentence in the film. I wish they would have maybe expanded on that just right. a little bit more because maybe those FBI agents didn't have as much say-so in how they treated Richard Jewell as it came off in the film. Right. Yeah, because it comes off in the film as a personal quest for the Ham character because he's floated this idea that Jewel is the guy, right? Uh, but his hubris prevents him from actually taking that back. He's gonna go to all uh, corners in order to prove himself right, even after he knows that he's wrong. Right, and let's talk about Paul Hauser. Oh, Paul, Paul Walter, Walter Hauser. Hauser, yeah. Incredible performance. I've seen this movie twice now, mm -hmm. and I missed the first time around. I think I was so engrossed in the entire story that I missed some of the subtleties in the acting. Second time around, I paid a little bit more attention to that, and Paul Walter Hauser is incredible as the lead. His subtle nuances and his mannerisms that he is able to portray mm -hmm. every single deeply layered emotion that he's experiencing, we are able to read that. And that was just an incredible, incredible performance. Very human, very authentic. Oh, 
yeah. very sympathetic. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, his, his final moment, his final scene with the FBI, uh, so well earned, <laughs> but not overstated. No. And that's the thing I liked about it. Yeah. It was very sincere, not overstated, and uh, just that um, catharsis that you're looking for. But, right. uh, yeah, it's just from all aspects, such a tragic story. Tragic story, well told. Thank you, Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of Paul Walter Hauser, I know that you and I have talked a little bit about the nominations that have come out from the various organizations. And he, I think, is one of the most glaring omissions that we've noticed as far as him not being uh, recognized in any of the best actor categories. Granted, a very crowded category this it year, is. but still, uh, this guy really. Uh, the film rests on his shoulders, and without him, it would have completely fallen apart. And he carries it, it seems, effortlessly. Mm-hmm. He can carry that. Um, yeah, that's definitely, I think, an overlook or a snub, however you want to look at that, from all the different organizations that have shown us our nominations and or the results of their nominations mm-hmm. so far. Um, another film that I know we both agree on, it's kind of crazy we start uh, agreeing on films toward the end of the year here, is Dark Waters. Yeah. Completely overlooked. Do they get anything from any organization nothing from no one and the most also the the other disheartening thing about this is that after its first weekend it did not do all the box office yeah, yeah. at all you told me that uh, i think it brought in less than five million during its first weekend and that's really a shame uh this is going to go down as one of the great overlooked films of 2019 and as you had pointed out before such an important message that everyone really should uh, should see. It, it affects us all in a negative way. And how, how do we protect ourselves? We need to be knowledgeable because knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And this gives us the power to make decisions for ourselves. And but, yeah, incredible film that's totally overlooked. And totally back to the Richard Jewell theme as well as far as knowledge and truth. Right? And, you know, that of course is a theme that's running through quite a few films at this point in the year. We'll get to um, Just Mercy in a couple of weeks. Right. Uh, another movie the, about social justice uh, that, that uh, you know, another great injustice, I guess I should say, in which the truth was covered up uh, again. And again, you know, that's... That's something we need to contend to with on a daily basis. Right, right. What else you got there as far as awards, things that were overlooked, things that should have been cited? Uh, after a while, there's so many of them. I know. It, it's, uh, it's hard it to keep It becomes hard to keep track. Yeah. It really does because we had the SAG Award uh, nominations, right. right? And then we had the Golden Globes. We had... Critics' um, Choice Critics Association, Choice, which we are members of, yes. Um, and one of the things that I, I noticed, and I am a big supporter of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. With you Mary. don't say. I know, that's shocking. But <laughs> Muriel Heller, once again, is overlooked for even a nomination, even if it's not a win, a nomination for the Best Director category. Um, to me, that was an overlook. Um, and I, uh, last year with Can You Ever Forgive Me, I thought she deserved it with that as well. And I she agree. was overlooked. And I think actually I like that film a little bit more. But uh, the only woman who seem, seems to be popping up is Greta Gerwig uh, as far as directorial nominations. Uh, <laughs> and of course the irony of yes. irony is, is that uh, as you will find out. And I can't tell everyone enough to make sure that you listen to our episode, our Christmas episode, where we review the Little Women, uh, fisticuffs will probably break out uh, when we discuss that film. <laughs> I think don't we don't we discuss Little Women and Uncut, Uncut Gems? Gems? Wow! Yes, too, yes. I think somebody's going to leave a bloody pulp. <laughs> it could be. Who knows who it might be? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Uh, those are my my but big ones. You know, there are quite a few directors, female directors this year, and uh, it, it's a shame that 
one name is probably going to get in, and that's going to be seen as progress or enough. Right, you right. Know? And it, it's not even close to being gender parity at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, that stems back to, you know, why, why aren't these women being recognized? Is it the voting bodies or is it the opportunities that the films uh, are presented? Or where, where, what is it, chicken I or think, the egg? I, I, don't, I don't think it's really the way the films are presented. I think it's the voting body. Um, and also there's just so many limitations when you look at the rules and the categories in whatever organization you're talking about. When you only have five slots, right? people are going to get left out. Yeah. You know, that's just, you know, the, uh, the, the, the way the game is played. It's a double-edged sword, I think, with our organization, the Critics' Choice Association. I mean, they can have up to seven or eight nominees in the category, which seems like way too much and Mm -hmm. wow guys can't you really make up your mind but at the same time it opens up more slots for recognition for some uh, filmmakers actors actresses who might not be uh, cited at other places right are there any other women filmmakers that you can think of off the top of your head I know we talked last week about the Mustang and Laura Claire oh gosh you know and the thing was I just got done making my top 10 list uh, and that film was preeminent in my mind again Yes, her. Yeah. And also last night I watched Booksmart again. Right. With Olivia Wilde as a director. Does she, she does not deserve a, a Best Directing nomination for this, but she did help write the screenplay, and it is much sharper than I remember. Okay. And maybe a nod there from some organizations would be well-deserved. The other film that I had thought of is Clemency. Have you seen that one yet? I have, yes. Okay, and that one I thought was wonderful. Kind of fits in with Just Mercy as well as The Mustang. Yes, another social Um, justice film, yeah. Right, and I thought that was wonderfully done. Well, not only that, but also the effect uh, that the death sentence has, not just on the people who are unfortunate enough to be on death row, but those who tend it. Right. I mean, Alfrey Woodard does an incredible job as the warden of a prison in which... uh, executions occur and the toll right that it is taking upon her uh, her performance um just phenomenal and and i thought aldous hodge was as well he's the the young man that Who's was accused of yeah, yeah and he is on death row and and we see the horror the 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 fear in his eyes and and the emotional trauma and toil that he goes through during this time period and how that does affect Alfred Woodard and I think Richard Gunn is in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was a wonderful film. Had a lot of buzz at Sundance, won a lot of awards throughout the festival circuit and has kind of sizzled. Well, it hasn't really been released yet either. They're waiting on that, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think they are too. You know, I think they really are. I think they've bombarded this end of the season and that not everyone's going to see everything. It's impossible. Well, you know, and that's the problem. I mean, you and I have talked about this um, compacted you know, period of four or five weeks in which, uh, you know, we're bombarded with screenings or videos that are sent to us of all these films that the studios have high hopes for, and they want us to remember them. Apparently, they think we have Alzheimer's disease, and we're only <laughs> going to remember the very last film we see when we're voting for things. Uh, and it does films like Clemency a disservice. Those are the types of films that end up getting lost in the shuffle. Right. But how do you do this? I mean, something like Judy. You could say, well, you know, that one was released too early. 
Right. Is anyone really remembering that film other than the performance? And she, Renee Zellweger, has been nodded to uh, quite a bit here. Right. Or, or you could just argue the fact that that film didn't deserve to be nominated, sure. but her performance did. And I would agree with that. Yeah. But, but, the, but the danger there was that she would have been forgotten, but she right. wasn't. She was not. Clemency, a small movie, where do you put it amidst all this? I mean, do you go early? Do you go late? That's what they're opting for. And... You know, and, and it's from a small studio as well. They just right. don't have that money. It is. It comes down to it. money. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, I was sitting around two weeks before Thanksgiving thinking, God, please send me the screeners so that I can watch because I've got chunks of time. And you knew it was going to be a rush. Yeah. yeah. And now, then, you know, Thanksgiving came and it's like, I don't have time to sit down and watch everything. I, I've done a really good job. I think I'm only missing two at this point. I think I'm there too. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's been a crunch and it's been difficult to squeeze everything in because as a critic, you want to make sure that you see everything. Well, not only that, I think it also does the films a disservice. It does. I don't know about you, but after a while, things just start to run together. They do. <laughs> you know, I mean, not that I'm going to mix up the plot with, you know, from Jumanji with Little Women. I can keep things separate. You know, although that <laughs> although would be interesting. Be, I think that might be better than Jumanji, Little Women. Little There's Women. a little hint there. <laughs> <laughs> little Women, Joe, go to Jumanji. That's what I, mean. I like it, yeah. Joe would be The Rock, and yeah, Beth would be, yeah, okay, okay. Well, you know, if this is going to be a franchise, they're going to run out of ideas, so you've heard it here first everybody <laughs> oh but, man but after you watch you know so many movies in a row uh it becomes exhausting i mean it's not like you're out digging ditches all day no, i get it no we got but, a cushy job uh, yeah, but you, really... do, you don't appreciate it exactly it, it feels like the work then and you're not enjoying it the same way that you would and i feel that way when i go to different film festivals and by the time i see my 25th film I'm a little burnt out, and mm -hmm. I'm not enjoying things the way that I should. Sure, So, sure. And I think the same thing happens at the end of the year for everybody, too. I agree. So, next week, we are going to be taking a look at... Bombshell. Bombshell. And oh, then, and we've got an interview, too, with Jay Roach, and that will be yes. on WCIA, as well as our website, realtalkwithchuckandpan.com. What an interesting guy he was. He was he really was a, a smart guy and had some insights into that movie that I hadn't thought of. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. In incredible responses. I'm really excited mm -hmm. for everyone to uh, see and hear what he has to say. In addition to Bombshell uh, reviews, we also have Star Wars. Oh, how could I forget that one? Uh, because you don't want to see it. <laughs> oh, and Cats. <laughs> and Cats. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so, hey, there's that rush. We have screenings scheduled uh, for Tuesday for Star Wars and then Cats. Uh, what a what a double wow. feature that's going to be. Should we have sushi before we go see cats? I think that would be perfect. That's fine as long as the uh, you know as long as the force is with us. I guess we'll be fine. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening to another podcast from Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Tune in next week for another fresh episode.